The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Those are verses 57 to 64 of Psalm 119, verses 49 to 72 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 11th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our look today in the book of wisdom. And if if you fail to listen to Monday's podcast, which would be, what, the 9th, then go back and listen to the first couple of minutes of that podcast, and I explain what the book of wisdom is. It's not in the Bible proper. It's in the Apocrypha. So, But I explain a little bit more about what that is, and I'll give you another link in the description to um, some video stuff that I did talking about these kinds of issues. Um, we're also in Luke's Gospel, continuing there in chapter 6, verses 27 to 38, and then also in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, um, chapter 1, verse 20. Four through chapter 2, verse 7. <clears throat> so here we go with the Book of Wisdom. So, so what we've seen so far from the Book of Wisdom in the, in the three days that we've been looking at it, the first day we got a worldly view, a world divorced from God, a world that doesn't, um, uh, that doesn't have a God, and, that, and, and in which there's nothing like eternity, either before or after my existence. And I'm certainly not going to, I'm just going to die and pass away from the earth. And so that creates a certain kind of person. That worldview, that understanding of, of the world and your place in it is going to create a certain kind of person, right? Because they're, they're going to have different values. That, that doesn't mean they're necessarily horrible values. However, in the case that was described in the first day, yes, they have horrible values because there's no check on their behavior because there's no ultimate accountability for how you live in this life. And so you grab all the gusto you can get. And then that's to be contrasted with those of us who believe in an eternity and our values should be different, our priorities should be different. And, and so here what we're going to see is, is the contrast between the two once again played out. The way that, that the uh, people who don't believe in God and who don't believe that there's anything like an afterlife uh, see and understand the world around them is, is different from those who believe in the afterlife and who believe that actually that's eternity and this is just passing away even though it's important the way that we live in this life because only God only gives it to us one time. And we're here to make him known, period. We're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, publicly. So here we go with today's reading. The righteous man who has died will condemn the ungodly who are living. And youth that's quickly perfected will condemn the prolonged old age of the unrighteous man. In other words, the, the, those who are godly have a different sort of wisdom and ultimately, Paul says things like, that, that don't you know that you'll judge the angels? And so it's the same thing, that, that we have a different wisdom and a different understanding, even though it may not look like it in this life, that ultimately we are those who, who can, can get a perspective on, on things and, and therefore be able to judge. So when I hear pundits and politicians say things like being on the right side of history, it's like you don't understand. The right side of history is God's side of history. You don't write the final chapter. He's already written it. And it doesn't align necessarily with what you think it's going to be. Just because the world's moving in a specific direction doesn't mean it's the right one. And ultimately, there's a judge who determines that, and it ain't you. 
<clears throat> so he said, they will see the end of the wise men and will not understand what the Lord purposed for him. This is the, the, the world looking at, at a wise person, a truly wise person, is one whose wisdom comes from God. And they won't understand what the Lord purposed for him and for what he kept him safe. They'll see and will have contempt for him. And this is what Jesus said yesterday when he, in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are they when, when you're reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. So <clears throat> they will see and have contempt for him, but the Lord will laugh them, the unrighteous, to scorn. After this, they'll become dishonored corpses and an outrage among the dead forever. In other words, the, the end of you is not what you believe to be history. That, that if you don't follow him, you're going to be dishonored among corpses, among the dead forever. Because he will dash them speechless to the ground and shake them from the foundations. They will be left utterly dry and barren, and they will suffer anguish, and the memory of them will perish. The converse would be the memory of the righteous will not perish because we have everlasting life. They will come with dread when their sins are reckoned up. In other words, they'll have fear before the Lord, and they'll have reason to be, because they don't have a defense. What is your defense? Jesus. Jesus' blood and his righteousness, the cross of Christ. That's our defense. So we don't have to fear, because we know his sacrifice was acceptable to God, and we know that because of the resurrection. Then the righteous man will stand with great confidence in the presence of those who have afflicted him and those who make light of his labors. So those who said you're on the wrong side of history, if you believe in righteousness as defined by God, he says, you'll get the last laugh. <clears throat> when they see him, they'll be shaken with dreadful fear. When they see God, they'll be shaken with dreadful fear, and they'll be amazed at his, ours, unexpected salvation. They will speak to one another in repentance and in anguish of spirit. They'll groan and say, this is the man whom we once held in derision and made a byword of reproach. We fools. Ultimately, the God of history is the judge of history. And we thought we were wise. Now we see. And we were fools. And we are fools. We thought that his life was madness and that his end was without honor. Why has he been numbered among the sons of God, and why is his lot among the saints? It, you could say the same thing about Jesus, right? So those who persecuted him, those who put him to death, those who never repented of their sins, those who never accepted him as their Savior, that's exactly what they're going to say. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. They thought they were the authors of history. They thought they were the ones on the right side of history. Resurrection says, uh-uh, nope. Ask Paul, who is it that I'm persecuting? Voice from heaven, I'm Jesus. Uh-oh, I thought I was on the right side of history. He ended up being that he got, because God loved him. And he responded to God calling him. He got a second chance and he knew it. And he knew that, that he didn't deserve that. He said, so it was we who strayed from the way of truth and the light of righteousness didn't shine on us. And the sun didn't rise upon us. We took our fill of the paths of lawlessness and destruction, and we journeyed through trackless deserts. But the way of the Lord we have not known. What has our arrogance profited us? And what good has our boasted wealth brought us? And I see in that the, the parable, but, but I'm not sure it's a parable, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's not clear that Jesus intended it to be a parable. 
because Jesus just tells it. This is in Luke 16. There was a rich man who had a manger, manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, oops, started reading at the wrong place, sorry. <laughs> so what we've got is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, he just says this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angel to God Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said that, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus is, is, is that parable has everything in the world to do with the um, uh, Beatitudes that we read yesterday. Blessed are you who, um, who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you it's who mourn. All those things. Blessed are you who, who um, laugh. Or, I mean, the other way around. Woe to you who have these things. And so that parable plays out those beatitudes. It makes it perfectly clear. And here, what it is, is it's the same story. These people later are the rich man. And they see the poor man, Lazarus, the one they persecuted, the one they make fun of. They see him in glory. And they, they say, well, we didn't know what the heck we were talking about. We got it all wrong. We didn't see it from the right perspective. And, and that guy did. It's important that we have the right perspective. It's important we live for that glory, not the glory of earth. Because this stuff passes away, and we'll get a new heaven and a new earth, and that one will be restored and right. It's important that we get that right. Because if we get it wrong, then we're literally going to be on the wrong side of history. In the gospel today... Jesus continues to teach after he's come down the mountain. He's taught the, the Beatitudes, and now he's going to continue in the same way that he did in Matthew. But in Matthew, it's a little more direct, because in Matthew, he'll say, he'll, he'll apply these things directly to the Ten Commandments, to some of the Ten Commandments. When he finishes this teaching, he's going to say, you've heard it said that, but I tell you this. And he raises the bar. You've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you, don't hate, because if you hate your brother, then you're a murderer. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you this, don't lust after a woman, because if you do, you've already committed adultery. <clears throat> so here in, in Luke, he does it a little differently, but it's the same message. He said, I say to you who hear. So in the other, he says, you've heard it said, but I say. And here he just says, but I say to you who hear. I'm saying to all of you, but if you hear, you're understanding. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So love your enemies is the, the big overarching idea. And then those next three things, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. That's the carrying out of that. So you got the big idea and then how to do it. So don't love your enemies just by thinking nice things about them. No, he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Nope, loving is active. It's not just a nice thought. It's just not, it's, it's more than just not hating them. 
To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And from one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. So if somebody comes up to you and says, give me that coat. He says, don't just give them your coat. Give them the tunic. Stand there naked if you have to. Do more than they've demanded of you in unrighteousness. And they'll think you're a madman. But I'm telling you, your reward's great in the kingdom of heaven if you do these things. He says, give to everyone who begs from you. Everyone, he says. Don't examine their motives. Just give. I hate that. Because <laughs> I don't want to give to everybody. I want to look and say, well, you know, you, you could be doing better if you didn't do that. When I, when I was in Rwanda uh, in 2000, I asked my driver, I said, Fred, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell me when I should give to somebody. The, my, my, my basic stance is going to be not to give to those who beg. So you tell me who, who it's right to give to. The problem was that the, the opposition, those who had committed the genocide, were still there. And what they did was they had captured these children. They would send them into towns and villages, and they would then beg for money. But they weren't, And then they'd come pick them up in the evening, and they would take the money and use it for evil purposes. So he says, give to everyone who begs from you. And Fred said, don't give to anybody. And you could see sometimes, he said, he said, if it's an able-bodied person, don't give them money. If it's a, a, you know, a street person, then don't give them money either. He didn't want me to give any money to anybody. And I did make a mistake one time. I, I thought I was giving somebody 500 in francs, which would have been about a dollar. And, and I gave the kid, the, I just kind of slipped him the money without really paying close enough attention because, well, that's how I am. So I, <laughs> I thought I was giving him 500 and I gave him 5000 so about, you know, 10 times what I thought I was giving him, and, and then he got beaten up by the other kids because I gave him too much money. So we got to be careful about how we give. So I, I don't intend to make that a general principle. So give to everyone who begs from you and from whom he, what who takes your goods, don't demand them back. <clears throat> and as you wish that others would do to you, do the same to them. If you love uh, those who love you, what benefits that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. I mean, you're supposed to be a special, distinct, and different people. If you do these things, you're just like them. You're still not seeing it from a heavenly perspective. You're still not seeing that, that what you're supposed to do is, is say, I live in a different kingdom with different values. He said, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. I mean, this is easy stuff, right? I mean, anybody would do what you're doing. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he's the kind to the ungrateful and evil. Don't I know it? I'm not in the kingdom if he's not kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I mean, that's the thing. We have to see ourselves rightly in order to get this right. You know, I'm not a righteous person. Jesus is the only one who's righteous. He's the only one who's good. I have to see myself as the other guy. And then, then I can react appropriately. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. In other words, withhold that judgment. And, and I, I'm, you know, I've certainly made that mistake on my own. And I can remember a call that I had when I was with Amazon, and I was talking to a lady who had been flagged as a concessions abuser. And I happened to notice that that this pattern of concessions abuse started at a particular time. She'd been a long-time customer, but then suddenly everything changed. While we were talking, she mentioned that she was on her way to the doctor. And 
I don't remember exactly what happened, but we got cut off somehow, and I just felt like I needed to call her back. I didn't have to. If we got cut off, I didn't have any obligation to call her back. I could just move on with my life. But I called her back, and we began to speak, and then she began to explain a little bit more about this going to the doctor thing and her concern about it. And, and as we talked and I asked some questions, what I found was that her husband had died and, and that she had not known how to navigate life after that. And she'd become bitter and angry and that she was afraid. She was afraid of being alone. And it was really hard for her to be alone. And she was sick at the same time. And so she had all kinds of fear in her life. She, her life had spun completely out of control. And, and I said, when, when did he get sick? And when did he die? And then I looked at the concession pattern. And what I saw was that those two things happened at the same time. She began to demand more and more concessions from Amazon at exactly the same time that her husband got sick. It was all fear. I could have judged her as a concessions abuser. And, and sure enough, that would have qualified. Her pattern would have. But the reality was there was a reason for it. If I judged her as a concessions abuser and I had only reacted to her as a concessions abuser, I would have been defensive and I wouldn't have done anything to help her. And then when I saw the pattern, because she explained it to me, she didn't explain her concessions abuse. She just gave me a timeline and I could see that those two things coincided. I would have misjudged this person as a concessions abuser when actually it was just somebody, it was a human being who was afraid, who had gone through an incredibly difficult time and still was. So that, that's what I see about judge not that you be not judged. I can't know enough to judge you. <clears throat> Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. I can judge your actions, by the way. It's perfectly all right for me to judge your actions. I'm intended to do that. <clears throat> Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. I mean, we, Lewis, C.S. Lewis says that, that he realized that how he could love the sinner and not the sin. He said he thought that was trite until he realized he did it all the time. He loved himself in spite of the fact that he was a sinner. And he says, forgiven, you won't, you'll be forgiven. Given, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. In other words, it, it, at the end of this, I'm suddenly encouraged to give in order that I would receive. And then we make it into a principle, and it's a theological principle, and it's preached in a lot of, a lot of churches. It's a lie. Because what it does is it encourages me to give because of what it will do for me. And so my motives are changed. And, and Lewis had something to say about that, too. He says, aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. And that's a reality. We have to keep those things separate. We have to not give in order that we receive because what we receive may not be like kind. What we get may be just the presence and the love of Christ. We, we expect, oh, the reward will look like what I've done. And it's the same thing when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so now we've got a prosperity gospel. But that's not what Jesus says. He didn't promise like kind. You know, in, in tax law, um, there used to be something called a like kind exchange. So if I sold a piece of commercial property and got a gain off of it, I could reinvest all of that in a like kind investment. I would invest in another commercial property and I could defer the recognition of the gain for tax purposes until I sold that property unless I did the same. And I could keep rolling the gains forward. That's exactly what, what the principle is not here. There, you had to do a like kind meant if I had commercial property that I had to reinvest in commercial property. 
That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying just give and you'll receive. But he doesn't say you're going to receive, you know, you're going to get 10 times as much money as you gave away. So in the epistle today, and I realize this is going long today, but there's a lot in it. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Oh, wait. Did I, did I sign up for suffering? I thought if I did all these things for Jesus, then I wouldn't suffer. I thought I'd get stuff. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, was there something lacking in Jesus? The answer is no. But what he's doing is showing to the world that we continue to suffer. He's showing the opposite of the prosperity gospel is what he's saying. I'm showing you what it means to follow Jesus' teaching is that you will indeed suffer. That the principle he taught is reality. He says, of, of which I became a minister for the, he, he, I suffer these things to fulfill, fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I'm a living witness to the truth of what he taught. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. This wasn't just to benefit me. I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't get this, and I don't do this just for my benefit. Nope. God gave it to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, those who he's called and those who he's equipped, those whom he has chosen. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches, the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's a reason we do this, he says. We warn everyone and teach everyone with wisdom that we may present you mature in Christ. We don't want you to continue to be children. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul says, I don't even do this under my own power. I'd struggle with all his energy. The dunamis the power of God, the, the, from which we get the word dynamo. He says, that energy which he powerfully works within me. So it's all his work. It's all him. I'm just doing it. And as long as I do it, I have that energy and that power. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, one of the churches mentioned in Revelation, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So again, he's affirming, I haven't met you. Epaphras, he had already said, is the one who preached the gospel to you. I haven't seen you, but I do this even for you, who I've never even met, but I love you in Christ, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, to whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all about Jesus. I say this because what he's saying is, I want you to be secure. I want you to be steadfast and stable in your faith. And he's saying you have reason to be because of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It's the same kind of argument that he's making about those who have come after him in Corinth. He, he says, I'm preaching Christ the wisdom of God. I'm not preaching to you in plausible argumentation. I'm telling you things that are a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. I'm not trying to make this plausible to you. I'm telling you the truth. And the world can't see this because it doesn't make any sense to them. We're talking about things visible and invisible. And the world doesn't believe in the invisible. 
They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. They don't believe he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. They don't believe any of that. It's ridiculous when I preach this, unless you hear and understand, unless the power of spirit works in you to receive these things as true, and when it does, stand in that because it is true. Don't doubt. Know that it's the Holy Spirit that is convicting you of truth in that. Don't spend all your time questioning it. Believe it with all your heart. He said, for though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit. I love you that much. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What you know, walk in it. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. That's supposed to be who we are. We are those who abound in thanksgiving because we accept and acknowledge the truth. We acknowledge that we have been given eternal life. We acknowledge that we have peace with the Father. We've been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus, and we know that we have eternal life. We know that his sacrifice on our behalf was accepted because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stand in that. Be firm in that and rejoice with thanksgiving in all things.